0: Alright guys, I'm in Luke chapter 12. Uh, Remember last week we read verse 1 all the way through 12. This week, for the sake of time, I'm just going to pick up in verse 8 and I'm going to read through the end of verse 12, uh, which is is where we ended last week. And and Jesus is speaking here, guys. Remember, he's talking to his disciples, uh, but he's just had an encounter with the Pharisees. So so keep Pharisees fresh in your mind um, when we get to these passages. But here we go, Luke chapter 12, starting in verse 8, reading through 12. He says, I tell you... Whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, don't worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. I want to share three things with you this morning, I think are really crucial that we find here in in this short passage. And the first thing I want you to know this morning is this, guys. Our eternity, according to Jesus, our eternity hinges on what we ultimately do with Jesus. Our eternity hinges on what we ultimately do with Jesus. And guys, this is a warning. There is no way around the fact that this is a warning. And the warning is this, ready? Our attitude towards Jesus is crucial towards God's acceptance of us. Our attitude towards Jesus is crucial towards God's acceptance of us. Us, okay, and so there's a lot of theology behind that. and I'm just going to walk you through it, and we are going to cover a lot of ground in this first point. But I want you to understand the why and the how behind this, okay? And so, so here's the basics. Ready? God is holy, right? He is, he's perfect. He is set apart. The Bible declares that, right? And of course, we are not, right? We're we're sinners. Romans three twenty three says this. It says, "For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God." And many of us are familiar with that verse. Some of us have even memorized that verse. But we need to get familiar with Romans 3.24. See, see this is what Romans 3.24 says, and it says, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. We put those two verses together, and it says this, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Some big words in there. That word justified, Wayne Grudem, who wrote the book on systematic theology, he, he says to be justified means this, it, it means to be legally declared righteous, in God's sight, to be legally declared righteous in God's sight. And he explains that that's never by anything that we do, but but rather it's by faith, okay? And and I think that's great. But I really love this definition um, by the Holman Bible Dictionary. It defines justification like this. It says, justification is the process by which an individual is brought into an unmerited right relationship with God. Justification is the process by which an individual is brought into, get this, an unmerited right relationship with God. And so we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, but we are brought into a right relationship with with God because of Jesus, right? Not because of anything that we've done, but because of what Jesus does for us. We, We haven't earned it, right? And so Jesus brings us into this right relationship with God. The question then is, how does Jesus do this? And that's what Romans 3.24 answers. It says that Jesus brings us into a right relationship with God through um, something called redemption. Through something called redemption. He justifies us through, through redemption. And that's another word that we need to check out. But before we can understand redemption, we need to know Romans 6.23. See, Romans 6.23 declares that the wages of our sin uh, is death, right? The wages of our sin is death. Another way to say that is the price Of our sin is death, and I want you to keep that word "price" fresh in the front of your minds here. That the price of sin is is death. We've got to understand that. Now, now let's look at this word "redemption." Okay, so so Jesus justifies us; he makes us right with God through this thing called redemption. What is redemption? Well, redemption is this: it is the process of paying the required price. Right? We've got that word in the front of our mind. Uh, it, It is so. So we've all sinned. And the price for our sin is death. Jesus makes us right with God. Okay, He justifies us with God by redeeming us. And redemption is the process of paying the required price to secure, get this, the release of a convicted criminal. Of a convicted criminal. And and friends, the story of the gospel is this, right? That, That we are those convicted criminals. Right? And, and we're convicted. Um, we're, we're held captive. Um, remember, Jesus came to set the captive free. We're held captive. We've been convicted by our own sin. And the ransom, the price that has to be paid for our release from the penalty of sin is death. Only, only one problem. It's, it's a penalty that we can't pay. Because it's actually, it's not just death. It's the death of an innocent victim. It's the death of one without sin. And so Jesus comes, the gift of God. He lives the sinless life that we couldn't. And he offers that life as a payment to God for our sin. As a ransom payment to God. He pays the price so that, get this, any, whosoever would believe in him. Man, whosoever would believe might have life. And guys, this is what Jesus says in, in, in Mark 10, 45, by the way. He says, the Son of Man didn't come to be served. But he came to serve and to give his life as what? As a ransom, as a payment for what? Many. He came to pay the price to redeem us from the conviction of our sin in order to make us right with God. It's huge. It's huge. And so we're legally brought into a right relationship with God, not because of anything that we've done, but because of His grace. This only happens through um, Jesus Christ because He pays the ransom. He's the only one that can do that because He is perfect. And by the way, just so you know, the Bible does declare His perfect nature over and over and over again. 1 Peter 2.22 says He committed no sin. Hebrews 4.15 says He was uh, tempted in every way, yet He was without sin. 1 John five says in Him there was no sin. Um, and, and that's why Jesus, and only Jesus can make this statement, this truthful claim in John 14, 6, when he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except by me, because Jesus is the only one qualified to pay the ransom price, and because he's the only one that indeed did pay the ransom price by his perfect life, he is the only one that can make us acceptable to God. Jesus is the only one that can put us in right relationship with God. Why? Why? Because we are only justified through redemption. And Jesus is the only one that could pay the price, and he did. Now, what that means is that our eternity with God, right? The God that created us, that that, that made us to be with him. Our eternity with God, uh, according to Jesus, hinges ultimately on what we do with him. Either we will spend uh, our eternity with God in His presence, um, receiving all of His love and all of His blessing and all of His reward, uh, or we will spend our eternity um, isolated from God, isolated from His goodness, in a place so terrible that the Bible can only describe it as hell. And and, and the word it typically uses is Gehenna, which, which literally was a place where all filth was taken outside of the city and burned. It's tragic. So our eternity, according to Jesus, hinges on what we ultimately do with him. If we accept him, the Father will accept us. If we don't, then the Father will not because he cannot. We are not acceptable to God without Jesus. You've got to let that sink in. It's really important. Now, I want to tell you why I so strongly use the word ultimately here. Uh, Jenny, can you show the, the initial uh, point here, number one? Can you go all the way back and then come back? I know I'm I'm putting a lot on you. See, Our eternity hinges on what we ultimately do with Jesus. I want to tell you why that word ultimately is so important in my mind. Look look at verse 8 and 9. It says, I tell you, whoever acknowledges me before men, the Son of Man, will also acknowledge him before the angels of God. But he who disowns me before men will be disowned before the angels of God. And those are scary verses for a lot of Christians, right? They, They cause a lot of anxiety in believers, and they really shouldn't, but they do. Because the truth is, many of us have denied Jesus at some point in our lives in front of other People haven't we right? We, we we've done it out of fear. We we didn't want to be judged. We, we didn't want to. And, and so so there are many Christians who go. Oh my gosh! Well, I've, I've denied him. Am I going to be denied? And so I, I want to tell you what these verses don't mean. Okay, that that verse, those two verses, they cannot mean if we ever deny Jesus because we have a lack of nerve that Jesus is going to deny us before God. And it can't mean that because of a guy named Peter. You remember that guy, right? I mean I mean loves Jesus with all of his heart. He'll do anything for Jesus. And, and then and then Jesus is. T- taken away and, and, and there he is and there aren't you the guy that was with Jesus no 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 it wasn't me he denies him aren't you the guy that was with no it absolutely wasn't me oh, you are the guy you're the guy that was with Jesus and he curses remember he says absolutely not I was not with Jesus he denies him three times in that one moment and yet we see what Jesus does. He lovingly restores Peter. So, so, and, and then Peter has a great ministry proclaiming the goodness of God. So, so it, can't, it can't be that. It, 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 that means it can't be like if, if we felt like God was calling us to talk to somebody and we missed the opportunity, that, you know, if we were in a crowd of people and we had a moment to say, wait a second, stop that. I, I believe in Jesus and, and you didn't do that. That doesn't mean that God is going to disown you. It can't mean that because of Peter, right? That also can't mean um, that some of us in our past, we, we didn't just disown Jesus. We, we flat out... Um, we, we stood against him, right? I mean, I mean, we, we basically, we, we fought him and declared he wasn't good and, and, and said nasty things about him, and, and yet here we are today. Some of you walked in the doors today, and, and that is the story of your life. You're somebody that was very, you're maybe even vehemently uh, opposed to Jesus at one point in your life. But listen, this doesn't mean, this passage can't mean that God's automatically going to disown you because you opposed him at one point, because then we have another guy by the name of Paul, Right? And that guy, I mean, he spent much of his life opposing Jesus, opposing Christianity, and then he has a face-to-face encounter with Jesus. He's radically changed, and he spends the rest of his life basically writing um, half the New Testament. So it can't be that either. And and, and so so it can't mean um, those things, which means instead it has to mean what um, our ultimate attitude towards Jesus is. One commentator I read this week called this um, our pattern of life. It's basically your pattern of life and what you believe about Jesus. And I kind of, you know, I like that a little bit because it definitely applies to Peter and to Paul. I mean, they spent the rest of their life, the rest of their pattern after knowing Christ was very much about proclaiming Jesus and not denying Jesus. But here's my only problem with that. I don't think that's far-reaching enough. Because I think God's grace is, is bigger than that because I look at the thief on the cross and his pattern of life definitely didn't boast of Jesus, did it? His pattern of life was basically the, the opposite and yet here he is hanging on a cross and he sees he sees this one that is called the king of the Jews hanging next to him and people are hurling insults at him and, and the king of the Jews is, is not like, like, like saying, God smote them. He, he's like literally hanging there going Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And this thief looks and says you, you must be the Messiah. He he puts his faith and his trust in him. And Jesus says, today that God accepts him at that moment he says, Today you will be with me in paradise. And so, so I think it's important when we read these two verses. The way I would summarize it is this: right? God will not reject you for a single moment or failure of nerve. God will not reject you for a single moment or failure of nerve, but he will accept you for a single moment of heartfelt faith. Isn't God good? Isn't God good? He's not going to reject us for our failings, for the moments that we fail to muster up the courage to stand for him. But he will accept us for that one moment that in humility, we bow our hearts before him and say, you really are the king of kings. I believe in you. What a good God we serve. What a good God we serve. Let's talk about him a little more. Number two, amen. That's what I'm saying. From the lips of babes, I tell you, Number two, I want you to see this this morning. If we humbly accept the Holy Spirit's call to repentance, God is wonderfully willing to forgive our every sin. If we humbly accept the Holy Spirit's call to repentance, God is wonderfully willing to forgive our every sin. I want to look at the first half of verse 10. I'm with you. It says, and everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. And I want you to grasp the gravity of of what we just read. Uh, Everyone, it it means whosoever. It means anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man. Now, that was Jesus' own uh, self-designation for himself. It was his favorite statement about himself. He called himself the Son of Man. 81 times in the Gospels uh, that term is used. uh, Son of Man, as Jesus um, used it to to talk about himself. Um, He says, anyone who speaks a word against me... Okay, Anyone who speaks a word against me can, can be forgiven. And it's hard for us to understand the depth and the gravity of this because, one, we're not Jewish, and two, we've never lived under a king. So I want to try to bring that home for you. And so I want you to see how significant the Son of Man figure is for a Jewish audience. Turn with me to the book of Daniel. The book of Daniel, I'm in um, chapter 7, and I'm going to read uh, 9 through 14. Book of Daniel, chapter 7. Uh, Starting in verse 9, Daniel writes, As I looked, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and the hair of his head was white like wool. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. A river of fire was flowing, coming out from uh, before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were opened. Then I continued to watch because of the boastful words the horn was speaking. I kept looking until the beast was slain and its body destroyed and thrown into a blazing fire. The other beasts had been stripped of their authority, but were allowed to live for a period of time. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man, coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days, and he was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. My friends, that passage is talking about Jesus as the Son of Man. And it's saying, listen, he's not just the king, he is the king. He he has all authority on on heaven and earth. All kingdoms are under his reign. And his kingdom, unlike earthly kingdoms, will never cease. Now, Now get the depth and the gravity of this. The Son of Man is very important to us. And then I want you to think about what it would be like to be before a king. How would you treat an earthly king? It's very difficult for us in America. We don't have a king. In America, we have an elected president. We get to choose. And we have great rights, right? We have the right to protest. We have have the the, the right to speak our mind, whether that's in person or on Facebook. Although I find it's very hard to find people that will speak their minds in person these days. We have great rights here. But if you can imagine what it would be like to be with a king. Now, you couldn't appear before your king, before your ruler, without an invitation, or else you could be put to death. You remember the book of Esther. Esther was married to the king, and not even she could walk into the king's presence without an invitation. And when she uh, bravely did walk before the king, remember he had to kind of raise his, raise his hand and say, listen, no, it's okay. Don't, don't put her to death. It's going to be okay, right? You, you couldn't go before the king without being put to death, without invitation. When you did go before the king, I, it was even said by some, you couldn't make eye contact with some kings. If you did and they thought you looked at him funny, death, hang you, kill you, shoot you, whatever. Well, probably not shoot you, run, run you through with a spear, right? Uh, and you it it couldn't even look at him. So, so typically you would walk in before the king in, in a posture like this, okay? And then get this. You couldn't even turn your back on the king when you walked out. You'd be put to death for that too. And so you'd come before the king, never looking at the king, speaking to the king, by the way, in, in certain terms. And then when you were done, you'd have to kind of back out um, of the king's presence, hoping that you didn't run into somebody with a really sharp sword. Um, and, and that's kind of the way that it went. And oh, by the way, what you would say to the king, that was very important too. If you were ever brought into the presence of a king, which you had to be invited, and, and you couldn't make eye contact, you had to be bowed down. If you were ever there, then you had to speak a certain way too. You had to speak with a great manner of, of reverence, you know. Oh, great king. Oh, 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 great, wonderful um, king. You had, to, you had to speak with dignity, most excellent, most most gracious, most sovereign. And again, if you didn't, you'd be put to death. Now friends, that's, that's what... The, an earthly king with very limited amount of power. We're talking about the king of kings and the lord of lords that has authority over everything that we know, over everything that we don't know, everything that we see, everything that we don't see. And I want you to catch the gravity of this. That king who demands all respect, right? And all with that king. I want you to see the difference between him and the earthly kings. He, like The earthly king, you say, you're dead, right? But this king, the king of kings, the Lord of lords says, listen, if you say something against me, though no one should ever speak against me, though I have every right to, to do away with you, I wa- I love you so much. I want you to see this. You can speak against me and I am still willing to forgive you. And Jesus proves it on the cross. As, as people hurl insults and falsities about him, as he's hanging on the cross, he's dying, and they are mocking him. And, and, and what does he do? Does he say, Father, kill them all? He cries out, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Listen, I don't know what you think about Jesus. I don't know if you see him as some kind of judge, and he's wearing the black robe, it's got the gavel. But if that is your image, it is desperately and terribly wrong. Jesus is wonderfully willing to forgive you of your every sin if you will humbly repent. I like what Tim Keller says about repentance and the power of repentance. He says, with repentance, every sin is forgivable. With repentance... Every sin is forgivable, but without repentance, no sin is forgivable. With repentance, every sin is forgivable, but without repentance, not even what we would consider the smallest sin can be forgiven. It's pretty heavy. Our Savior, our Lord, he is... He is extremely, abundantly. I I can't come up with with better adjectives. I mean, he's wonderfully willing to forgive us of our every sin, but we must humble ourselves, confess those sins to him, and repent, okay? Number three. It's what you've been waiting on, ready? Here we go. You need to know this morning that there is a sin so great that an all-powerful God cannot forgive it. There is a sin so great that an all-powerful God cannot forgive it. And I know when you read that, you go, I don't like that. I don't like that terminology. I I, I don't like it either, but it's biblically accurate. I I, I don't like the thought of it. You say, wait a second, God is all-powerful. How how can an all-powerful God be unable to do something? That doesn't make sense to me. It it doesn't sit well with me. Doesn't that diminish His power? No, it doesn't diminish His power at all. Because remember, God is is all things. And the Bible does say that He is all-powerful. And yet we know that because of who He is, there are certain things He can't do. It is impossible for God to lie. God can't lie. He's all-powerful, but he can't tell a little white lie. God can't, because he's also all-righteous, right? He's all-just. So God God can't do that. God God can't ever deny himself. There's not a single time in his existence that God can say, nope, I don't exist. He can't do it. It is impossible for God to do that, yet God is all-powerful. And, and, and so along those same lines, I'm here to tell you there is a sin that is, that is so great, that is so devious, that, 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 that we can put ourselves beyond the forgiving power of this willing, wonderfully gracious God. And what that means, friends, is that his forgiveness is not automatic. That everyone is not going to receive it. And that's tough. And that's tough because people today tend to think that God's forgiveness is just, they take it for granted. They think it's easy. They they, they just say, well, God's got to forgive me. It, it, it's a guarantee. If, if God really is God, then, then he's going to have to um, for, forgive me. Especially the people that, that are dismissing um, Jesus. They reject the Holy Spirit's call to repentance. Um, and, and this is a common theme. Well, if I'm wrong, the, the great um, French philosopher Voltaire uh, is, is, is quoted um, saying this. He, somebody asked him, and by the way, he would claim he was a deist. I think he was an atheist, but we won't go into all that. But, but he, um, somebody came to him once and said, "Hey, Hey, can I ask you a question? What if you're wrong about God? What if you're wrong about God? What's going to happen to you? You know what Voltaire's response was, ready? Right? He said, he'll forgive me. It's his job. Do you hear the arrogance in that statement? <laughs> that God is required to forgive me because he is good and because he is loving. And, and, and they completely remove the fact, yes, God is good and God is loving, but God is also completely Just. And, and God cannot allow unjustness to, to to happen and to dwell and to reign. He just he simply cannot. And and, and so we we get into this. And, and and um, I I think what it does is, friends, it declares that kind of mindset. Declares that somehow forgiveness is easy. Right. And it cheapens really the grace of God is what it does. And and, and I fear that many of us in, in church we, we've kind of believed this kind of gospel, haven't we? All you have to do is walk the aisle and pray a little prayer and ask Jesus to come into your heart and, and you're gonna be great, right? And and what happens is because we don't understand how difficult it is for God to to forgive people, then the cross is cheapened. And so people will say, oh yeah, I prayed a little prayer, I'm good, yet their life has never changed. Friends, if you understand how difficult forgiveness is for God, it will wreck your life. I'll tell you what I'm talking about, okay? Great um, theologian, Martin Lloyd-Jones, he he preached uh, a sermon uh, called The Problem of Forgiveness. He says in that sermon that uh, what we don't realize is that forgiveness is a problem for God. Again, he's talking about an all-powerful God, and this guy's full-on Calvinist. He's going to say, like, listen, like, I get it, God is all-powerful, but I'm going to tell you that there are some things that are a problem for an all-powerful God. And he says forgiveness is one of those things. He's look at Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, the world was dark and formless and empty, and none of that was a problem for God. God wanted there to be light, and he said, let there be light, and there was light all-powerful God wanted there to be life. He wanted this this now lit up, formless world to be teeming with life. And he says, okay, I want vegetation. And there's vegetation. And now he wants wants there to be birds of the air and beasts of the field. And he says, now give me birds of the air and beasts of the field. There is nothing that is a problem for God. He wants mankind to be made in his own image. And he says, let us make mankind in our image. And the moment that he says it, mankind now exists, right? And you've got Adam there. And he says, but there's no suitable helper for Adam. And so I want to create for him a suitable helper. And, And for this reason, a man is going to leave his father and mother and be United to his wife And the two are going to become one flesh And so he says Adam go to sleep And he goes to sleep And he pulls out a rib And says from this rib I'm going to make woman And she's going to be The best thing that ever happened To you next to me and God speaks and it happens man God God, god Nothing is problematic For God In Genesis 1 and 2 And then the fall of man Happens in Genesis 3 And suddenly man needs forgiveness And man needs salvation And, and man needs rescuing And it takes centuries For God to bring it To fruition all-powerful God. Forgiveness is problematic. It's hard. It is, it is difficult. The cross of Christ has to change us because of this, right? So what is this sin that is so great that God can't forgive it? Let's start by what it's not. Some of you have some misconceptions. The unforgivable sin is not in and of itself unbelief. That's the easy answer we like to say. Well, if somebody doesn't believe in God, that was our first point. If they don't believe in God, right? if you don't have faith in Jesus Christ, it's impossible to be justified by His redemption. right? Because that's the only way we can be justified is by belief in Christ and His redemption in paying the price for it. There's no way to have a right relationship with God without that. And so yes, unbelief does indeed lead to hell, right? I mean, it does. It absolutely does. But... That's not the unforgivable sin, believe it or not. That's unbelief, which does have the same uh, end result. Okay, it's also not um, a sin that's named anywhere else in Scripture. The unforgivable sin cannot be murder or adultery. Uh, it, it, it's not. Um, it's not going to be something like suicide, right? It, it's not. The unforgivable sin is not anything else that's already mentioned. Those things are already covered. They already, already talked about what to do with those things, how to confess those things, right? First John one nine. if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just. He'll forgive us of our sins and purify us of all unrighteousness. Those things are addressed, so it's not that. It's also not denying Christ, right? It's not just simply a denial of Christ, because AKA Peter and Paul, we've already covered those guys. Both those guys denied Christ vehemently at one time, and, and, yet, and yet they're forgiven, and they have life, and, and they do great things for the kingdom, so it's not just denying Christ. Uh, It's not the passages in Scripture that talk about grieving or quenching the Holy Spirit. Those are different passages too. So it's not those things. It's not, oh, I grieve the Holy Spirit. I I can never be forgiven again. It's not those things. And finally, I would say to you, it's not saying something kind of flippantly about the Holy Spirit. We, We get mad and we're like, holy! I mean, you guys, I know you don't. I mean, just the people on staff. You know, like that never happens. Nobody ever says that. It's not some flippant saying against the Holy Spirit either. It's not, it's not that that can't be yet. When this sin is discussed by Jesus, I want you to understand this. It is always discussed in context and specifically directly following interaction with the Pharisees. Always. When this sin is is talked about by Jesus, it always has to do with the Pharisees. You see, guys, here's the deal. The Pharisees witnessed firsthand the goodness of God on display. Firsthand. Uh, uh, The Holy Spirit in Jesus' earthly ministry was declaring from from the mountaintops to all people, to crowds, to to everybody that, that would listen, that this is the Messiah. Right? This is the Savior. He is here. He has come. Everybody knew it. That's why the crowds were gathered. They're like, oh, surely this is the Messiah that has come. Like the Holy Spirit made it evident unto the Pharisees who Jesus uh, was. And so when, when the, Jesus drove out a, um, uh, a mute demon from a man that couldn't talk from birth, uh, and suddenly the man started to talk, the crowds that were around immediately looked to the Pharisees as if to say, uh-huh, what do you say about that? And that's what they did. They looked at the crowd like, okay, Pharisees, now what do you say about that? Because that dude couldn't talk, but now he can talk. That's a good thing. And the man's praising God and all those kind of things, right? And and, and it was here, like in this moment, they had a choice to make. They could either humble themselves and they could admit to to the crowds, right? And and, and to God, they they could admit that they had been wrong and that Jesus was the Messiah and that He was indeed good and that He's producing good fruit. Because I want you to see the maddening effect here. That this moment in time that they could have said, yes, Jesus is good. Yes, he must be the Messiah. Look at the good that he does. But instead, right, out of their own pride and arrogance, their unwillingness to let go of their position in people's eyes. They, 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 they could have just declared it was good, but instead they declared that it wasn't good at all. They say, no, 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 blind people seeing is not good. That's against our religion on the Sabbath People, people that can't walk, how dare you heal them on a Sunday? It was really a Saturday back then, but anyway. How, how dare you make lame people walk and blind people see and dead people live? This cannot be good, they declared. In fact, we believe it to be the work of the devil. Because it doesn't fit in with everything that we have proclaimed. And in that moment, friends... In that moment, they made a knowledgeable, willful, final refusal of the Holy Spirit's work to exalt Jesus. See, the Holy Spirit had come to prove that they were wrong when it came to righteousness and judgment. Did you know that that was the Holy Spirit's role, by the way? Look at this scripture with me. John 16, 8. Jesus said, when he comes, he will prove, to the, prove the world to be in the wrong about sin And righteousness and judgment. And the Holy Spirit came and did amazing works through the life and ministry of Jesus. And everybody knew that it was good. The Pharisees knew that it was good. But that didn't fit within their belief system. See, they would have had to humble themselves. They would have had to declare that they were wrong. And that God was right. And they decided once and for all that that could not be the case and that they would forever be right. And this man named Jesus would forever be wrong and needed to be put to death. It's a sad story. And Jesus says to them, Matthew 12 37, By your words you'll be acquitted, and by your words, you will be condemned. They put themselves beyond the ability, not for God to forgive, they put themselves beyond the ability for for them to repent. And without repentance, there can be no forgiveness. Therefore, in its nature, this is the unforgivable act. Sad, sad, But I want to tell you, unfortunately, it still happens today. It's not just with Pharisees. Today, we've got many people. uh, I quoted a Waterdeep song earlier. It said, uh, many men will drink the rain, but they're going to turn and thank the clouds. They're going to refuse God's goodness. They're going to refuse to call good, good. They're going to refuse to look at all the blessings in their life and say, yeah, there's a God. Instead, they're going to declare that the things of God, the good things are, God, are not of God at all. Are not of God at all. Uh, now, I do have a bit of good news for you in the midst of that sadness. Ready? Here's the good news, okay? If you're here today, you hear the sound of my voice. You can't be asleep. If you're asleep, man, you've committed. No, I'm joking. Um, if you're here today and you hear the sound of my voice, I want you to know this. If you've ever wondered, have I ever committed this act? Have I ever done something so grievous that God would not forgive me? I want you to know The answer is no, you haven't. Because if you've ever wondered that, then you're not this kind of person. This kind of person is so hard, they don't care. They're beyond repentance. If you're here and your heart has ever felt, oh God, I'm such a sinner. Surely, God, I've, I've, I've committed this sin. I've done the same sin so many times. How could you ever forgive me? Then your heart is tender to the things of God and the Holy Spirit has convicted you. And he's saying, hey, listen, I've got something better for you. Let's get out of this pit and let's move on, all right? Okay, so, so, so that, that's good news, that's good news. Now, we always end with application, so I only have one application for you today. And I just believe this all in my heart, in a room this big, uh, even, even with, with holes today, in a room this big, I, I want to say to you that there's always somebody um, that may need this. And so here's our application today, very simple and straightforward. I, I want to challenge you today, if you've never done this, would today be the day that you, you finally, humbly submit to the Lord, Right? The Holy Spirit has you here for a reason. It is not a mistake that you showed up at church today to hear this message. You are not here by accident. There's a reason that you're here. Today, would you humbly acknowledge to him that you've sinned and that you need him in your life? Would you humbly acknowledge to him that you know there is no way you can be right with God on your own and by yourself, okay? And, and would you just, would you acknowledge that and would you repent? Repentance means a turn, it's a change in direction. It's, say, I was following my own ways, but Jesus, I've heard you are the only way that I can have a right relationship with God. Today, I want that right relationship, and I'm prepared to start following you, even though I don't know exactly what that looks like. And today can be, according to the Bible, could be your day of salvation. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us, and thank you for calling us here to this moment. Um, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you just have your way with us right now. We have learned today that our attitude towards Jesus is crucial towards God's acceptance of us. And some of us today, maybe for the first time ever, need to bow our lives um, to this Jesus, to this King of kings, to this Lord of lords. And uh, Jesus, I'm so thankful for your work for us. You want to make us right with God, and you have indeed paid the price to do that. You've, You've already paid the price for redemption. We must simply... Confess and believe, and I pray today that you would call us to that Holy Spirit in Jesus' name. I ask these things: Amen. amen. So I'm just going to ask you to bow your heads in prayer. Uh, this is one of those old school uh, we've done it before, but it, this is an invitation, flat out. It is now, for some of you, many of you here are already Christians, and that's awesome. You say, well, what, do I, what do I have here? What, what do you have here? What are you talking about? Here's what you have here, ready. If you're a Christian and you heard this message today, I want you to walk away going, My God is wonderfully willing to forgive me. Right? That that, boast of that, right? This God, this King of Kings, like we have no right to walk in his presence as dirty people and run up to him and make eye contact and turn our backs on him. Like we have no right to treat him the way that we do. And yet, listen to his words. Anyone who says something against me, I'm willing to forgive them. I am wonderfully willing to forgive. Isn't that beautiful? If you're a Christian today and you feel distance between you and God, I'll tell you what the distance is. Ready? Unconfessed sin. Why would you not confess your sin to a God that is so wonderfully willing to forgive? Why are you living with that guilt and that shame? There is no need. Come before this wonderfully willing Savior and say, You know what? I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Would you forgive me? I, I was reading through the Psalms and, and, and I, I'm trying to remember what Psalm it was, but David basically says, I, I, um, I bring my sin before you. Uh, I confess it to you. Ready? And he says, because my sin is so great. <laughs> like, like that was his, that was his excuse. <laughs> like I'm going to bring it to you because it is massive because my sin is huge. So I'm going to bring it to you. That is a man that knows the power of God and the power of forgiveness and the power of repentance right there. Do you know the power of repentance, my friend? (laughs) How great is your sin? If it's great, man, take it to Jesus. He is wonderfully willing to forgive you. And so so that's for my Christian friends. I love you. I'm so glad you're here. Um, But there's a few here right now in this moment. You have never accepted what Jesus has done for you on the cross. You've never done it, not once. You've looked to the cross. You said, yeah, I believe that. But not one time have you ever humbled yourself and said, oh, my gosh, look what I've done. I need you, Jesus. Not once. You've never been made right. And, and, and friends, here's the deal. This is, this is the sad thing. Many people are going to say to Jesus one day, Lord, Lord, did we, did we not drive out demons and prophesy in your name? And he's going to say, away from me. I knew you not because there's a whole bunch of people that came to the cross and they thought forgiveness was easy. And so they thought, well, it's enough that I know that he did it. Friends, it's not enough to know in your mind. You must submit your heart. You've got to submit your heart. And it's a change of life to say, Jesus, you are the only one that can make me right with God. I know that I'm a sinner. And today, I'm going to ask that you would forgive me and that you would help me to now be adopted by this God, to be a child, to have a whole new relationship. Would that happen in me today? And so here's what I want to do. Uh, all, every head bowed, every eye closed. Today, if you were here and you can hear the sound of my voice, and you have never, you have never humbled yourself before Jesus, but you're hearing those words today and you feel something going on in your heart, you feel like crying right now, you know what's going on. Today, would you become a child of God? And this is what it is, right? This is, Jesus is going to bring you into relationship with God, but only he can do it. You've got to say, Jesus, I believe in you. If you're here today and you would like to do that, every other head is bowed and every eye is closed, but I want you to look up until we make eye contact. If that's what you want to do today, say, I want to be a child of God today. I want to accept Christ today. Would you just look up here? You've got to keep looking because it's hard to see. Okay, awesome. Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? say, man, today, I want today. Just, no, let's make eye contact. Okay, awesome. Awesome. Friends, here's how we do that. Ready? We're going to pray a prayer. There's nothing magic about this. I'm not taking it out of some textbook. All right? This is, but this is the prayer we're going to pray, okay? It's just, just, just you and me, you guys that were looking at me. Let's just pray this together. And you don't have to keep looking at me, but I want to pray this prayer with you. Ready? It's a big deal. Just say, dear Jesus, today I have heard, today I have heard that I owe a debt that I cannot pay can't do it and today I have heard that you know that and so you chose to do it for me and I can't even imagine it's hard for me to wrap my mind around and so today I just want to say I accept that gift thank you for dying on the cross and for giving up your perfect life because of the price of my sin thank you would you come into my life and just take complete control of me? You gave up your life for me. Here and now, I give up my life for you. Amen. If you prayed that prayer today just for the very first time, would you just raise your hand and say, I prayed that prayer, I meant it. It's okay, this would be a brave moment. Yes. Yes, my dear. Anybody else? Yes. Anybody else? Come on. Raise a hand. That's a good moment. Raise your hand. Amen. 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 So Here's what we're going to do. Alan's going to play. And I just, I, can I just, well, you three, we're all going to stand up. All of us. Okay? If you're one of those three, you raise your hand. Or maybe you didn't, you're like, I didn't have the courage to raise my hand. It's okay. God's not going to deny you because of one moment. One moment that you're afraid. But will you ask somebody next? You say, will you come down with me? I just want to talk to you here for a moment. I will not embarrass you, but I want to talk to you about what's going to change now in your life. So everybody stand up. Everybody stand up. Alan's going to sing. And, and my three that I saw your hands, will you, will you grab, grab your husband, grab your mom, grab, grab your friend, grab somebody, and, and just you come on down. And if you're a Christian, you've got something to repent of. You come on down. And, uh, and, and, and the rest of us, man, pray and sing. And let's just give God uh, glory for all that he is and all that he's done, okay?